the voice of America. Stand up! Stand up! Stand up! Stand up! Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America! Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the November 10th edition of the Sunny Side of Sports. Let's kick off in New York City, where head coach Greg Berhalter has unveiled the USA's 26-player squad for the FIFA World Cup football tournament in Qatar. The USA team is made up of 17 European-based players and nine Major League Soccer players. England-based Christian Pulisic and Tyler Adams and Italy-based Weston McKenney are three of the headliners. Pulisic plays for Chelsea, Adams for Leeds United, and McKenney for Juventus. McKenney was asked about the USA team's chemistry. I definitely think uh, the chemistry that we have off the field is uh, is beneficial. You know, I don't think we uh, need such a long time to gel together just because, you know, a lot of us have been playing with each other uh, over the past four years, and, and many of us have been playing with or against each other since, you know, we're 9, 10 uh, years old. So um, I think it's, it's just like we see it as like a best friend that you don't need to keep in contact with. But whenever you link back up, uh, everything is normal and it just flows. Um, so I think uh, obviously whenever we get into guitar, everyone's going to be excited. Everyone's going to be electric and, uh, and ready. And, and we all know our mission. We all know our goal. It's been the same goal we've had, uh, you know, since the start of the cycle. And uh, we're all going to be um, pumped to, to see each other and play together again and and kind of uh, have that free-flowing fun and creativeness back on the field with each other. Weston McKenney is 24 years old. The average age of the USA's World Cup team is 25.5, which will make it one of the youngest teams in Qatar. The only American player with previous World Cup experience is 29-year-old defender DeAndre Yedlin of Major League Soccer's Inter-Miami Club. He made three substitute appearances at the 2014 World Cup in Brazil. The United States did not qualify for the 2018 World Cup in Russia. Another defender on the USA's World Cup team is 25-year-old Anthony Robinson, who plays for Fulham in England's Premier League. Robinson comments on the USA having England and Wales in their World Cup group. Yeah, I mean, playing against England and Wales, I remember sitting there watching the live draw, uh, and I've said this a number of times, I couldn't have been any happier with the draw we got uh, growing up in England. Like, you know, it means a lot to be able to play against them and, you know, show what I can do on that stage against them. So that's going to be amazing. But also, I think it'll benefit the team because especially with the likes of, you know, like Tyler Brendan now, um, doing so well in the Premier League. I don't think they've got any fear going into what it's like against top Premier League opponents for the most part, and myself included. I feel like I've been fairly comfortable this year at this level, so uh, that familiarity against um, players for England and Wales is only going to help benefit us um, going forward, and we're not going to go into that game scared. 
Uh, we're going to go into it thinking that we can take something from each game. Um, hopefully a win in both will be amazing. The United States will kick off its World Cup campaign November 21st when it plays Wales. At a news conference in New York, Coach Burhalter was asked, which players do you think will bring energy to the USA team? I hope everybody. You know, I think everybody goes there with the mindset that um, that we want to do a good job and that we want to play. Um, we we want to be brave the, the way we play. Um, you know, this is a great opportunity for us. Um, you know, great opportunity for young players, for old players, you know, for, for everyone. And, um, you know, I just hope that when we get there, we're ready to take advantage of it because we really do see this as a responsibility. You know, we want to get the public behind us. We want, we want to build a ton of momentum going into 2026, but it all starts now. The USA's head coach, Greg Berhalter, was also asked, what are your expectations for the upcoming World Cup in Qatar? Okay, so there's two tournaments, right? That's the way we're, lo- we're really looking at this. There's the group stage tournament. And we have to finish second to earn the right to play in this other tournament, which is the knockout tournament. And then from there, anything can happen. And for us, it's just about how do we perform the best possible game? How do we play the best possible game that we can in the knockout stages to keep advancing? And if we don't advance, but we play the best possible game, we'll leave the tournament with our head held high. The USA's head coach, Greg Berhalter, also selected 22-year-old Lille striker Tim Weah for the World Cup team. He is the son of Liberian president George Weah, one of the greatest players in African football history. Tim Weah was born in New York City, and Tim has played for the USA throughout his life, now at the senior level, but previously Tim Weah played for the under-23 under 20, under 17, and under 15 USA teams. Tim Weah has made 25 appearances for the U.S. men's national soccer team and scored three goals. I'm VOA Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Stay tuned. More World Cup news just ahead. This is the voice of America. Washington, D.C. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African Beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music. From bubu music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Ndombolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African Beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 09.05 and 20.05 UTC right after the international news. Thanks, David. That's David Vandy, the host of the VOA's African Beat music show back on the world cup beat a former star striker from south africa says and i quote this is already africa's world cup in so many ways he's one of many on the continent who think one of the african teams for the first time using local coaches could go far in the world cup in qatar 
Darren Taylor reports from Johannesburg. Not so long ago, Pumudzo Manenze was firing in goals for Orlando Pirates, the Soweto-based club that's serial title winners in South Africa and also previous winners of the African Champions League. Manenze played a few times for the national side, Bafana Bafana, but injuries cut his career short. The past few years have seen him going into business, but also making regular appearances on local TV as an analyst. It's in this capacity that Manenze will be leaving soon for Qatar. He says he's very excited about the five African teams at the World Cup, Cameroon, Ghana, Morocco, Senegal and Tunisia. I think my money will be on the African champions, which is Senegal. They said your money will be uh, the star of the show. I see them going far in this tournament, even to the quarterfinals, because they are our reigning champions. They've got a coach who's a former player, a coach that understands the culture of African football. And that's why France won the World Cup. Their coach had won the World Cup before, and he brought on all that experience into the World Cup. But Manenze was speaking before Mane suffered a leg injury during Bayern Munich's 6-1 thumping of Werder Bremen in the German Bundesliga on Tuesday. The injury has sparked fears that one of Africa's most lethal ever goal scorers will be missing the World Cup. The Taranga Lions open their campaign against the Netherlands just 11 days from now. If they're without their star player, it'll be a big blow to their hopes. But maybe there's still hope for Mane. German media are quoting Bayern coaching staff as saying the injury's not too serious. Manenze, meanwhile, is lauding the fact that all five African teams will have homegrown coaches at the finals for the first time. He says it's a giant leap forward for football on the continent. At past tournaments, African teams have overwhelmingly employed foreign managers without much success. Manenze says he remembers watching the 2010 World Cup held in South Africa and thinking how sad it was that only one African side, Algeria, were led by a local coach. He believes the success that African managers have had in continental tournaments over the past few years means African federations, governments and, more importantly, fans now value them. But Manenze hopes issues that have plagued African teams at past tournaments don't rear up in Qatar. The problem has always been the admin side of things. African teams negotiating bonuses on the eve of, of the first game. African players negotiating bonuses the night before the big game. If they can sort that out as early as possible, we are looking at African teams that are going to do well. You look at Ghana, they've got the AU brothers. You look at Ghana, they've got Pate, who's doing well with Arsenal, who are sitting on top of the table now. In Ghana will be coached by former Black Stars international Otto Addo, and Cameroon by one of their legends, Rigobert Song. Senegal are led by the highly regarded Alou Sisse, former captain of the Taranga Lions. Manenze is also impressed with Morocco, a team built around the talent of Paris Saint-Germain defender Ashraf Hakimi.
the best right back in the world at the moment and he's one of those that is going to represent the African continent. He's playing with these superstars now, the likes of Mbappe, the likes of Messi, the likes of Neymar. He's playing with, with them at club level at PSG. So he's one of those that I'm looking But for. he still doesn't think an African team will win the trophy. You can never write out a Brazilian team. Neymar has won the Olympics. Now there's this big thing that is the World Cup that he still needs to go out there and shine at the world stage. Obviously the defending champions, France, but I'm, I'm a little bit concerned now because you're looking at Paul Pogba, he's injured. Kante in midfield is, is injured. Uh, Ferran, we're not 100% sure if he's going to be available. There'll be a lot of weight on Mbappe, but looking at the season that he has had so far, 17 games that he has played in all competition, 17 goals that he has scored, five assists. He's still young to be able to be given all this pressure. I think he has matured with the game and he will be able to handle this pressure. Then, says Manenze, there's the small matter of Argentina and their maestro, Lionel Messi. I think there's no doubt about Lionel Messi being one of the greatest in the game. He has been unbelievable at club level. The only thing that would be missing would be a World Cup medal to really cement his place alongside the Pelés, uh, the Maradonas of, of this world. And this World Cup actually gives him his last opportunity to really play. The South African says he'd love to see a victorious Messi lifting the trophy, but he'd love it even more if, after so many decades of heartache, the cup is grasped by African hands. For the sunny side of sports, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Sporty greetings. This is Namsam Pelo, media officer of Banyana Banyana of South Africa. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. In African women's club football, Asfar of Morocco will host defending champion Mamalodi Sundowns of South Africa in Rabat on Sunday in the final of the CAF Women's Champions League. In semifinal matches Wednesday, Asfar defeated Bielsa Queens of Nigeria 1-0 on a 27th-minute goal by Ibtisam Jiraidi. And Mamalodi Sundowns advanced once again to the final by beating Simba Queens of Tanzania 1-0 on a 76th-minute goal by Boitumela Rabale. The 26-year-old Rabale grew up in Maseru, Lesotho's capital, and she's the captain of Lesotho's national women's football team. Both Sundowns and Asfar had 100% records in the group stage, winning all three of their matches. And now one of the teams will try to maintain a perfect competition record with a victory Sunday in Rabat. Once again, it's Asfar of Morocco hosting defending champion Mamalodi Sundowns of South Africa in Sunday's final in the second edition of the CAF Women's Champions League. sunny side of sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports.
let's open the sunny side of sports mailbag now. Stephen Charles Fadile sent me a nice message from Lagos, Nigeria's commercial capital. Stephen writes, Sonny, I'm happy the World Cup finals are here, but I'll be missing Arsenal while the English Premier League is on break. Sonny, the Gunners of Arsenal have been outstanding this season. So unbelievable, writes Stephen. Go Gunners! Go Gunners! And Stephen adds, at the World Cup, I dream of an African team lifting the trophy. Remember, sunny side of sports listeners, no African team has ever advanced past the World Cup quarterfinals. Fingers crossed that an African team can perhaps reach the semifinals or even the final in Qatar. Hi, I'm Francis Tiafo. You're listening to Sunny Side of Sports on Voice of America. Turning to tennis, two of the sport's all-time greats, Roger Federer and Serena Williams, retired this year. Between them, Roger and Serena won 43 Grand Slam singles titles. Federer won 20 major tournaments, and Williams won 23. 41-year-old Serena Williams turned professional in 1995, and Roger Federer, also 41, turned pro in 1998. Many of Serena's professional peers on the Women's Tennis Association Tour commented on her legacy. In this sunny side of sports highlight for 2022, we'll hear from some of them now, starting with world number one Iga Świątek of Poland. Um, she's done so much, and honestly, for me, it's super surreal when I see her, and I still feel like, you know, um, I'm just a kid who's, who's watching, you know, and um, I watched her my, my whole life. Basically, she was everywhere because she always <laughs> always won uh, and was somewhere in the same finals or, or the finals. So I didn't always feel like um, I'm this kind of player who can, like, play similar tennis because she always seemed so strong and really stronger than any of her opponents physically. Uh, but mentally, for sure, um, she's the one who's going to show you how to use your position and how to kind of intimidate with being number one um and i'm not i'm trying to do that you know i don't know if it's going well or not we're gonna see probably in a couple of months or maybe next season uh but for sure she's she's a great example and especially um also with how she copes with having business and playing at the same time or being a mother and playing at the same time it's just amazing it's not like uh, many athletes have athletes have done that so um i i think it's great that we have somebody like that in our sport to who cleared the path and kind of show us that you can do anything and sky's the limit that's the 2022 u.s open champion iga Świątek of poland 
Iga also counts two French Open titles among her three major championships. Naomi Osaka of Japan has won four Grand Slam titles, two Australian Opens, and two U.S. Opens. And Naomi says Serena Williams has a lasting legacy. I think that her legacy is really wide to the point where you can't even describe it in words like she changed the sport so much she's introduced people that have never heard of tennis um into the sport and i think i'm a product of what she's done i wouldn't be here without um serena venus you know her whole family and I'm like very thankful to her and what was really weird is I watched her first match in Toronto before she announced it and for some reason I just started crying because I felt it like I felt like um you know, when I played her in Australia people were like that's the last time she's going to be in Australia I was like dang it I really don't want this to be true and then um I kind of felt like she was gearing up for her last U.S. swing, and I just started crying. And then she announced it the day later, and I was like, "Oh my God! Like this is, this is what devastation must feel like." But yeah, I mean, it's just really, it really is an honor just to keep watching her play. Meanwhile, 18-year-old American Coco Goff says Venus Williams and Serena Williams are her tennis idols. She says Serena and Venus are the reason she wanted to pick up a tennis racket. And Coco talks about when she first met Serena. Um, so I first met Serena. She doesn't probably definitely doesn't know this. I don't I think I was nine or ten years old and um, they needed a stunt double to play a young version of her just to face down. Uh, I think it was for a Delta commercial. I don't even think they ever used it. I don't think they ever used it but that was like my first check I ever got as a kid. Um, so, so she doesn't know this but the first money I ever made for myself was because of her doing a commercial. So I met her and I stopped by her trailer, took a picture and she did, yeah, I don't, she probably doesn't even know but yeah, my mom actually sent me a picture like a couple weeks ago of me like waiting, um, getting my hair done by the people and then I think really just her the way she was able to transcribe in the sport that's predominantly white I feel like that's something as a little girl and even now um just meant a lot to me um especially like growing up there wasn't you know I would say before I was born, there wasn't many. And before Serena came along, there wasn't, you know, not really an icon of the sport that looked like me. And so growing up, I never thought that I was different because, you know, the number one player in the world was somebody who looked like me. So I think that's the biggest thing that I can take from what I've learned from Serena. Then also on a more personal personal level, I got to, you know, have a couple conversations with, with her um, later on in life. And um, I think it's just the way that she handles her, herself and she never puts herself down. And I love that she always elevates herself. And a lot of times being a woman and in the world, a black woman in the world, you kind of settle for less. And I feel like Serena um, just taught me that from watching her. She never settled for less. I don't I can't think of a moment in her in her career in her life that she settled for less. And I think that's something that I took from and I never me as a person as I'm growing into being an adult and learning um, how to handle things now um, with the media and tennis and everything. I'm trying to learn to not settle for less. That's American tennis player Coco Goff commenting on the legacy of Serena Williams. I'm VOA Sonny Young in Washington, 
And you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. As we look forward to the kickoff of the FIFA World Cup football tournament in Qatar, a Sudanese civil engineer has been developing and maintaining the country's football pitches for the past 15 years. My VOA colleague Gwen Uten tells us more. Sporty greetings, Gwen. Sporty greetings, Sonny. As the countdown continues to the start of this year's World Cup tournament, much of the attention has been on the players and national teams that will go head-to-head on the pitch. But what about the pitch itself, one of the most important yet often overlooked elements of the game? Qatar 2022 is the first World Cup to be staged during the winter, so the tournament can avoid the blistering summer heat in the Middle East. But while the drop in temperature will benefit athletes on the field, the transition from summer to a milder winter is the most challenging time of year for turf. Winter normally begins in Qatar in the month of November, but groundsmen forced an early winter in September by blasting chilly air directly onto the pitch to make fields more durable in time for the upcoming tournament. Sudanese civil engineer Haitham Al-Sharif has developed Qatar's turf since 2007 to be player perfect for its World Cup debut. And Al-Sharif says ensuring sports turf thrives in the desert heat is a unique challenge. Preparing and growing high-quality sports turf is generally challenging but here in Qatar it was a different level of challenge. The weather uh, condition and the climate together with the level of performance criteria we have set for ourselves makes it extremely challenging to develop the product we need but we succeeded. An elite core of groundskeepers maintain eight World Cup stadium pitches and 136 training grounds across Qatar. And the turf will be able to withstand the rigors of the upcoming month-long tournament thanks to hundreds of tons of grass seed imported from the United States every year and used on all playing surfaces. Grass varieties in Qatar turn dormant as temperatures rise, making adequate growth a challenge between football matches. The American grass seed will hold together in Qatar's climate, but Al-Sharif says knowing when to seed the pitch takes just the right calculation. When, when you have wear and tear, you want the grass to keep growing to recover. The uh, warm season grass usually goes dormant in winter. If you seed the pitch too early, you will have germination, but the uh, winter grass will not really grow. It will actually die because it's too warm. So we are trying to balance all factors and choose the right time. And, and, and this, is, this is, again, uh, a, an annual process. 
And annually, each pitch requires 50,000 liters of water in the summer months. And as the World Cup approaches this winter, Qatar will need a daily dose of at least 10,000 liters of water for each of its stadium pitches. And with virtually no access to fresh water in the region, groundsmen rely on desalination, a process that removes the salt to make water safe for drinking and watering grass. And if all else fails, there's always a plan B. Organizers have set aside about 40 soccer fields worth of reserve grass at a farm north of Doha that can be played on in as little as eight hours. Mohamed Al-Atwan worked as a project manager for Stadium 974, the World Cup's first fully demountable football venue and host of seven matches in the upcoming tournament. Al-Atwan says players, coaches, match officials, and spectators can rest assured Qatar is ready for any turf emergency. Yeah, I'm proud of the, the whole project, but the grass is where the action is happening, especially during the, the event itself. And even uh, after the event itself, we didn't have to do any re-turfing. So maintaining uh, the quality and the, the, the grass with the performance and having a successful tournament without any impacts on uh, uh, the grass, which is the main field of action for the, the tournament and for, um, for, for the players. Uh, we were very proud and very happy. Organizers have declined to disclose the cost of the turf program, but with billions of dollars spent over the last decade leading up to the tournament, it's safe to say no expense has been spared. The lush, green, beautiful World Cup turf will be put to its first test when football action kicks off in the tournament's opening match between Ecuador and host country Qatar on November 20th. And that is all from me, Sonny. Back over to you. Thanks, Gwen. That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uten. And that wraps up the November 10th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. I get it. And that's the sunny side of sports.